If you work harder when someone tells you, you can't do that, you are going to love this episode. So again, my impatience, I can't keep it a secret. <clears throat> I tell my family, I'm writing a book. You can't do that. <laughs> Who are you to write a book? You're writing a book? What? Is, what how are you doing? And it wasn't, you know, like, it wasn't super negative, but it was negative enough that I went, okay, I've heard this before, <laughs> now I'm going to finish. Welcome to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast by Endurance Leadership. Each episode, we interview ordinary but extraordinary individuals about their unique identity journeys, sharing valuable lessons and breakthrough coaching moments to inspire and help listeners get unstuck. My name is Ken Castrico. As a deep coach with over 20 years of experience and the owner of Endurance Leadership, my mission is to guide clients on a journey of self-discovery. Ultimately, my goal is to empower clients to not only understand but fully embrace their true selves, unlocking their full potential and living a more authentic and fulfilling life. Knowing who you are can change the way you see the world and others around you. And that's why we are here to help you find you. Join us as we search for the gold in people's lives. Today, my guest is Rusty Schaefer. Rusty is a father, a husband, a lawyer, entrepreneur, pilot, pilot instructor, is a teacher in the entrepreneur program at the University of Nevada, Reno, and an author. Rusty lives his life by the mirror concept, which he explains in the podcast, and you will get an insight in how he has achieved so many goals in his life through this concept. Rusty's identity journey is fascinating, and I know you will learn a lot from it. So without further ado, Rusty Schaefer. I'm here with Rusty Schaefer, and uh, we are going to get right to it. And uh, I met Rusty in a class at UNR, and uh, it was one of the best classes I've ever taken. Thank you. And I uh, can't wait to have you hear a little bit of uh, Rusty's identity story and how he came to be a teacher and all the other things that he's done. He's an author, and I'll let him tell more, but Rusty, thank you for being here. Well, thanks, Ken. I appreciate it. So a little bit about me. I grew up, was born in California, Northern California. My dad worked for the airline industry, worked for United Airlines, and so I, I gravitated toward wanting to be a pilot. That, I, was, I wanted to be Top Gun. That's what I wanted to do. And so after high school in Saratoga, California, I went to the Air Force Academy Prep School, which is which is where you go if you can't quite make it into the academy, but you spend a year at the academy in what's called the prep school, you're in military uniform and whatever, and I was doing my thing. So I went through that year and I got my acceptance to the Air Force Academy, but they wouldn't pilot qualify me for jets because of allergies. Oh my gosh. I know. And so I had to make a real tough decision, which really crushed my parents. Right. They were both enlisted Air Force. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Spent their four years, my dad four, my mom two. And and so they were crushed when I turned down my my nomination to the academy. And sometimes even I second guess that. Right. <laughs> but nonetheless, I was already a pilot. I was a pilot at age 16. So one day I'll never forget, you know, we were driving by the airport, San Jose airport, and my dad said, hey, let's look into flying lessons. And so I actually soloed, I was the youngest pilot in the nation on December 12th, 1978 to solo an airplane. 
Wow. So I soloed, got my private pilot's license, mm -hmm. and so I was already a pilot. Oh, wow. And so it was very disappointing, right? Mm -hmm. You can imagine. So I passed on that. My folks at the time had moved back east to Connecticut. My father had taken another job. And so I kind of like picked up the pieces, right? Which is, I, I don't know, you know, I'm just a kid, right? I'm 18, 19. So I went to a local university in, in Connecticut called Sacred Heart University, just to, just to kind of go because I, I made my decision, you know, it was too late to apply anywhere. Right. And then I figured out what, what did I want to do? Well, I was an athlete in high school as well, but I didn't play my final couple years of football. I, w I did track, I did pole vault, but, I, but I, I had didn't play the last two years of football. I don't know why, I just wasn't into right. it. But then I always got had this feeling like I wanted to try to do it. And I this is probably where I started learning about myself. Mm -hmm. that I was a person who I've always been able to set my mind to something and sort of ruminate on it for a while and then go for it. And then what happens is when you tell, you start to tell people, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And then depending on the reaction, and, and I don't know why this is for me, but you know, a lot of people are negative in, in the world, right? And a lot of people that that I had run into, you can't do that. You're not going to be able to do that, right? And it's like, really? Okay, now I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. Even if I was on the fence right. or whatever, now I'm going to absolutely do it because I'm going to prove you wrong. That's right. And I don't know what that is about an identity or a personality, but that's who I am. So I started to train and then I walked on at the University of Connecticut that following year as a sophomore, made the football team, and then proceeded to finish my degree from the University of Connecticut. So I have a dual degree in mechanical engineering and economics. Okay. So, you know, again, and it wasn't like I went, you know, back to people or I could even remember who it was that said I couldn't do it, but I knew myself I could do it. So for me, starting to do these accomplishments, and I did the same thing, by the way, as stupid as this sounds, freshman year, somebody said, go out for pole vault. I'm like, I don't even know what a pole vault is. Right. So I started and I was having fun and I was doing it. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know what? I'm going to win league champion. I'm going to by the time I'm a senior. So as a freshman, I'll never forget the end of the first year. I was having so much fun that I said in the shower to myself, I'm going to do it. And of course, there were negative people. You're not going to do it. I did it. I was league champion for little, you know, our Saratoga school district union, whatever it was in the Northern Bay area there. And I, and I won league champion. Now the next week I bombed out at regionals, but that's not the point. The point was that I set my mind on a goal and I did it. And that was a four year goal. And that started to tell me something about myself that this is how I seem to operate. I seem to be someone who can set near term enough goals. Mm -hmm and accomplish them. And I'm like, okay, you know, all right, I can do this. And so, so after Connecticut, and, and I should say that during that time at the University of Connecticut, I learned to play guitar. This really changed my life, or it would for the next 30 years. So after school, I was still playing guitar and I had played in bands and all this kind of stuff. And I was playing rhythm and singing, right? So I knew my chords. One day I wanted to get better. This was after college and mm -hmm. I went back out to the Bay Area, right? I was living with a buddy of mine and 
and just, you know, whatever, you know, I had, I had a job as a mechanical engineer at United Technologies. I was flight instructing. So I had gotten more ratings. I was flight instructing at San Jose airport. And I was just kind of, you know, doing what a 24, 25 year old does, right? Just, just kind of doing it. And I came up with this idea. Well, let's back up. I, I wanted to learn to play lead guitar, like I said. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, well, you've got to open this book with all these dots on the page called a scale. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I've always never been a real patient person. <laughs> so I started that for about 30 seconds. And I'm looking at, I mean, literally 85 dots on a you know mock fretboard of a guitar. Right. And I'm supposed to memorize this. And I'm like, okay, I did it for about 30 seconds, maybe a minute. And I'm like, this is for the birds. Why doesn't somebody just take this information, these dots right here, and put this on the neck of my guitar? So instead of looking back and forth, I can just see all this right here. So while I'm learning, I'm hearing and I'm playing and I'm having fun and I'm accomplishing, I'm getting somewhere. Well, that spurned an idea. That started the idea. So I had this idea and and I wanted to call it the fret light guitar. I wanted to make these guitars. Now, you got to understand that even though I had some confidence in myself, right, I wasn't to the point as a 24 year old to be able to say, oh, I'm going to be CEO of this company and make trillions of dollars. That was not on my radar. I thought I had a good idea. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to protect it with a thing I think called a patent. I didn't know at the time. And that's all I knew. I thought I had a good idea and I thought maybe I can, maybe Fender Guitars, right? The big name guitar company will pay for this and, and buy it from me. And that's all I, that's all I kind of set out to do. And so I ended up, you know, finding someone who allowed me to make payments to get a patent. I started on a prototype and I actually flew down to Los Angeles to where Fender's headquarters were at the time. And I thought, you know what? I just don't want to sell them the idea, right? Whatever, whatever that means. Again, I didn't understand right, right. legally what that meant, but you know what? That, that, well, I could figure that out, but I'm going to hold out for, you know, what was a lot of money? This was, this was 1990, 90, 90 yeah, it was like 91, 90, 91. And, and I was like, I'm going to hold out for a lot of money. So if they offer me, you know, I don't know, 10,000 is a lot of money, right? For a 24 year old, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I should hold out for 20,000 and I'll, I'll, they'll make them throw in the case of beer for sure. <laughs> so I get down there. I'll, I'll finish this up real quick. I get down there and and they punch into a calculator. I show them the prototype, right, which lights up chords and scales. And they go, you know, it's going to add $42 to the retail cost of a guitar. I, it's not going to work. And I was dumbfounded. And I said, you know, there's this guy up in the Bay Area. His name is Steve Jobs. And he runs this company called Apple Computer. And he's talking about music being on your computer someday and all this stuff connecting. And, and I think this can connect into that and it'll show you the music. And they, they kind of slid back and they went, yeah, no, there's the exit over there. And, and I was really bummed out and I was bummed out. And I, and I remember being on the flight back to San Jose, right? Which is like an hour flight. And I had a guitar catalog coming through it. And I'm just pissed because I didn't expect this, right? This was a bump in the road. And I'm thumbing through and I see, you know, this is a guitar, like one of the, you know, mail order catalog. And I see a Fender guitar and I see it says, well, our new such and such a vintage guitar. And in the, in the description, it says 
We even pre-rust the screws in a coffee can out back of the factory. And I went, God, they're going the wrong way, it's me. I wanna go this way and they wanna go that way. And I said, and right then I said, you know what? I'll do it myself. And so that led to building a company around the fretlight guitar. Wow, really cool. So now uh, another part of your history is you're a lawyer. I am. And so I'll fast forward. How'd that happen? Well, I'll fast forward. So I start I start the company Optech Music Systems and we start selling the fretlight guitar. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1995, what happened in the world? Windows 95. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of, I wasn't a geek, but I was a computer junkie. Right. I mean, I was, I loved, you know, gaming and at the time, right? And all that kind of stuff. So we were using computers and Windows 95 came out and I said, oh my gosh, I have to hook the guitar to the computer. This is the future. That's what I thought. Of course, no one, no one, no one, no one <laughs> in the world, manufacturer wise, had connected a guitar to a computer to do anything. What was the purpose? Right. Nowadays, of course, you record right. on the computer. Right. Nobody. So I connected my guitar's light system to the computer. Well, I couldn't, we didn't, we weren't big enough company to do what we were doing in the past, which was have the dial up scales on the body, right? You plug it in and you can dial up the scales on the guitar. It all now went through the computer, Windows 95. Well, sales just went plummeted. They plummeted, right? I mean, people just, it was just too far advanced for the industry and guitar players at the time. And so I had to shut down the business and I remember thinking to myself, well, should I raise money? And this was, you know, 1996, 97 timeframe. Should I shut down the, you know, what? And I thought, no, you know, this is just doesn't feel like the right time to go raise more money. This is just a really uphill battle. I thought, you know, maybe I just need to throw this away and see if, you know, that old adage, if it comes back and just pursue something else. Now, now during that time, there was some interest in my company whether it be investing or partnering. And I always felt ill-equipped when they, when people started talking about high-level discussions, it started to get a little legalese, right? As far as investing and, mm -hmm. and, and partnerships and joint venture. So I said, you know, I, I gotta go back to law school. I gotta go back to law school for myself. And so that's what I decided to do. So I got into Northeastern University up in Boston we moved up to New Hampshire, which is only like 30 miles right over, you know, from, from Boston. It's right over the border. I lived in a town called Wyndham, New Hampshire. And I proceeded to go to, to law school. Now, again, it originally wasn't about a career, but it was about, you know, working on me, right? I needed to be smarter and more equipped to get into those higher level discussions. Interesting. Yeah. So, and we, we talked a little bit before about strengths and weaknesses, and it's really interesting to me how you can, <laughs> really what drove you, where you found your strengths, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is kind of a question, where you found your strengths is when someone says you can't do it. Is that, does that have anything to do? I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if, if that's finding a strength or if it's just unleashing what's there and somebody, Already there inside. somebody pulled off the, the blanket. I've been told that that's not a good trait. <laughs> I've been told that that's like, you shouldn't be doing things because people tell you you can't do them. 
Although I know a lot of successful entrepreneurs and people in athletics and that have done things when people have told them they can't. So I don't know about that. I think, I guess how I could characterize it was, I guess my strength, I knew that I could do something, but I guess what put the, the, the point on it or the cherry on top was when somebody said I couldn't do it. And that for me then became this challenge and I was still confident that I could do it, but I was really gonna do it. I mean, I was, the last thing I was gonna do was fail. And there were people that told me, you're not gonna be able to go to law school. Cause I was, I was an older student, I was 35. Mm -hmm. Are you, you're not gonna pass the bar. You're not gonna, and it was like, mm-hmm, okay. Been here before. Right, came on. So now, so, so really, I keep drawing back to that end of freshman year pole vault. And again, because I had that success, because I did what I did there, I kept saying, I can do this. I can do this. And I got to tell you, law school was hard. I studied harder the first day that I did all four years of undergrad. Wow. I mean, it was hard, but I never thought I would fail. I just, I just knew that I had to keep going, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So, That's so good. So, you know, I, I look at, and this is really all about identity. I'm fascinated with identity because I think people that have a really good beat on who they are, just know who they are. Usually are really, most of the time, very, very successful or, you know, they, they do well. Right. And they can do well in anything. And they're, they're usually good teachers and everything. So that kind of leads me to my next question. You're a teacher. Hmm. Now, how did, I, hopefully somebody told you you couldn't do it. <laughs> but how did you become an adjunct well, professor up here at UNR? Yeah, so I think I think you're exactly right. But I think all of your 20s and your 30s are still about gaining that confidence and identity. By the time you're in your 40s, you're, you're I think you're you're you you've got an identity and you're you're confident about your strengths and weaknesses, and certainly into your 50s. There's no doubt. I think a person should have and know who right. they are. So again, I'll answer that question. Fast forward though, to during law school. Again, remember this was the year 2000 when I went to law school. Well, what was happening? You had ordering online, Amazon, brand new, eBay, mm -hmm. a couple of years earlier, brand new, USB. Brand new way to connect to a computer where in the past, when I connected to Windows 95, it was through a serial port, right? right? I'm really dating myself, <laughs> right? USB was supposed to be plug and play. And of course it still is, as we know. So, so all of a sudden I'm going to law school and I had a website up for the company that said, yeah, we're kind of shut down and you know, we're retooling and we're re-engineering and that's code for we're out of money and if you're rich and you're a billionaire and you wanna back me, I'll talk to you. <laughs> right. So this started to happen though. And it wasn't that a rich guy called, it was that things started to weirdly fall in place. It's like the planet's aligning. And so I met somebody in my local town there in Wyndham, New Hampshire, who said, I'll design the circuit for you to connect to USB mm -hmm. and I'll do this and I'll do that. And all of a sudden I get to senior year of law school, three years in, mm -hmm. in 2003. I, at that point, you sort of get into the groove of law school. So the second two years aren't as hard, right? As the first. And now all of a sudden I've got a plan to re um, energize the guitar 
connected to a computer via USB. Now software is prevalent. Now we have online ordering. I can have an e-commerce store. I mean, it's not like today's e-commerce, but it was, you know, it was existent where it wasn't existent in 94, right? right. right? So, so all this stuff is happening. And at the same time, I am getting ready to take the bar exam. And then of course, one week after the bar exam, I'm on a flight to China to check the first production of 150 units that I've pre-sold. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? Now, <laughs> my wife at the time, who I am now divorced from, I remember her saying to me, you know, why can't you just like be happy but, you know, being an attorney, you've accomplished so much and just do that for the next 20 or 30 years. And I remember thinking, wow, you really don't know me because, you know, I, I'm driven by passion, right? If I'm not passionate about something, I'm not going to do it. And it doesn't mean that, that you have to be passionate about something that will make you rich or wealthy. It just means you have to be passionate. Right. Right. You got one life. This is all we have. Right. So when I'm halfway through, I'm more than halfway through. <laughs> so anyways, so I get out here. I move the company. I end up getting divorced, but I get out. I, I get out to Nevada and the company is is now going. Optech is now you know happening. I am divorced. I get some funding. I do all these things. It's now t fast forward to 2019, just a couple of years ago. And I end up, I've accomplished all I can really accomplish. The music industry is kind of dying. And I had sold the majority stake in the company in 2010. And so they put me in place as CEO. And then in 2019, we sort of started to have a disagreement on the direction and what to do. And so I stepped away. So I stepped away, walked away, and then I got involved in some local mentoring groups mm -hmm. and started to figure out what I wanted to do. And I met a guy named Matt Westfield, right. as you know oh, him. Yeah. And Matt and I are very synergistic. We come at things, we come at things from a little bit different angle because of our backgrounds, but we always arrive at the same place. Mm -hmm. And and we pretty much are aligned in a lot of things with having to do with entrepreneurs and startup. And so I started, he asked me to sub for his, one of his classes. I was like a little nervous at first. I'm like, okay, this will be fun. Now I have six kids. I have four of my own and I'm now remarried and have two from okay. my new wife, right? All my kids at this point today are 19 to 25, but, but 10 years ago when we got married, of course, they were nine to 15. So I kind of feel as a parent, you're always teaching, right? At least, at least I took it as a job. I took it that I, ha I have a job to do. I'm not supposed to be my kid's friend. I have a job to do. And if I don't do my job, they're gonna flounder out there in this tough world. So, so when I had the opportunity to substitute teach, mm -hmm. I kind of embraced it and I had fun. And I told some stories and you know, Matt's like, oh, just get in there and talk about fret light and talk about all the things you've done and all this kind of stuff. I said, okay. And so it started to get to be real fun. And then an opportunity, gosh, it was probably, I don't know, 20, it had to be 2019, summer of 2019. And one of the guys at, at UNR, uh -huh. that is sort of the head of the entrepreneur department, mm -hmm. he contacted me and said, hey, we had an instructor who stepped away from, from the highest level entrepreneur class. Do you want to teach it? Matt Westfield says you'd be great. And I jumped, I didn't even hesitate. I'm like, I'm in, awesome. I'm in, right? It doesn't pay a lot, right? As an adjunct, but I'm in right? Oh, I can, I can teach my own class. 
And it was cool because, you know, I, I got the syllabus from the old professor and, and I tweaked it. And as you know, I tweaked it to include some speaking stuff and some different things. And so I, I love teaching. Now, I mean, you know, at this point in my life, I, I kind of feel like I know who I am through my identity. Mm -hmm. I know my strengths and weaknesses. And if I can communicate just a, just a little bit of knowledge to people out there, right? Kids coming up in class, not that they're going to escape having to go through it themselves, but if they can just maybe think, well, what did he say again back then in that class, right? That will satisfy me. That that just that just that, thrills me. That's so good. It, it's really it. It. I come home. You know, our class was what seven o'clock to nine thirty. I'd come rolling home at like you know like ten to ten or whatever it was, and I'm just energized. I'm just like, oh, this was awesome, awesome. Oh, it's only eleven o'clock, right? And I haven't had that much energy in a long time. So yeah, I I was energized. I get energized from from teaching. Okay. So, so what I, I want to ask you, and we're going to get into some values and identity and stuff like that and how those played out in your life. But one of the things that I, I really think is probably the most important thing that I've noticed in my own life. And then when I study other people is, and this is something I've said about our, our, our world right now and the kids coming up, there's no teachers. And uh, I love asking this question because what is your take on that? Being a teacher and how much it energizes your coach, teacher, guide, what do you have to say about that? Well, yeah, I, you know, again, as I said before our break, I, I look at, you know, the first, the first way you're a teacher is a parent. Right. So, so to all those parents out there, I took it as a job. And again, you know, I just, I just, I wanted to raise my kids so that you know, God forbid I keel over when they're 18, right? They have some knowledge. And I'll never forget, you know, certain things stand out in my mind. And, and I kind of came to that conclusion. I didn't know that going into having kids, but I'll never forget my first child was five years old. We're living in New Hampshire. Maybe, maybe, maybe six, well, five, six. And she had a play date over. It was another, you know, mm -hmm. girl with a mom came right. over, right? So my ex-wife now is talking with this mom and i was doing something in another room but i'm overhearing with one ear right the, their conversation the kids are playing and the little the, the the mom asked the other girl to do something and the girl mouthed off like big time like it was like one of those things where you big right you know <laughs> double take double take right i ever did that with my dad and i wouldn't <laughs> be here but the mother said to my ex-wife i'll never forget this Oh my gosh, like she kind of brushed it off and she went, oh my gosh, you know, five years old and I, I can't even control her. Wow. And, and then, you know, conversation went on, whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, if you can't control a five-year-old, what are you going to do with a 16-year-old? What are you going to, I mean, it's too late. Right. Right. So I took my job as parenting really, really importantly. So I think that's number one. Number two, I mentioned that I was a flight instructor. Right. And then I am a flight instructor. Right. So I have some teaching in my background. My grandmother on my father's side was a teacher at Ohio State University. Now she taught drama. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, I mean, she was a Roosevelt Democrat, right? 
and she probably would be more of a moderate to conservative today. Sure, but he was a sure. Roosevelt Democrat. And I'll never forget, you know, my parents were Republican and I got a lot of those type of values. And But she was a lady that I would fly from Connecticut to Ohio. My senior year, which would have been 1986. So I flew like maybe once a month to see her and just spend time with her. And she was one of the smartest women I know. And it wasn't about you know, teaching drama or, or whatever. She could teach anything, but she could, she could converse with you on anything. And so I think I got some of that teaching from, from her, I think genetically maybe, and maybe experientially as well. But there's something about teaching that I've always loved. We all know it doesn't pay well, unfortunately. Right. Pe most people like me and probably many others teach through passion. You do it just because you, you know you feel the objective is you know I've got 30 kids in a class. If I can get through to one, if I can change one, right, or or imprint something positive right. on one, it's a success. So, yeah, I guess I guess I really wish people would understand how important teaching is, but it, it really starts with parenting. It does. It does. And, you know, I've all, I'm a big believer, man, I to see people all the time that they don't. It's like you, you said that they don't get it. They just don't get it. something they don't get. And I really do believe it's that foundational thing. And it really sets the tone for your identity and your purpose and everything else. I think it does. And I was, you know, I think my upbringing, you know, again, I had a pretty upper middle class, let's mm -hmm. say, uh, upbringing. And, and we weren't, you know, we weren't rich, but we lived in a nice house. Right. And my parents had, you know, there was a swimming pool. But at that time, again, it was, you know, life cost a lot less back then. But they imprinted some values on me. And I, and I like to think that I took those into law school. And, and it really reinforced why I wanted to be an attorney, not just for the knowledge of how to argue with people, but for why we have this thing called the Constitution and why we have freedoms and why we have rights. And when people violate those rights, you know, how do we stand up or should we stand up and all those kinds of things. And, and so I like to think that I have a really strong foundation and I got it from my parents. My dad said something to me. So... It was really interesting when I first moved out to California from the University of Connecticut, right? Before I started the guitar business, I started an auto detailing business, <laughs> right? Because I knew how to wash a car and wax a car and detail it. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of nice cars out here in the Bay Area, right? With all the Apple offices and I can do this and probably make some decent money, okay? And I'd always had that entrepreneur spirit. So I started this business. And I'll never forget talking to my dad prior to starting the business. He was driving to me to the airport. I came home at the time they moved from Connecticut to Massachusetts, Concord, Massachusetts. And I went home for Christmas and he was driving me back to the airport. And I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about starting this auto detailing business. You know, what do you think? And he said, you know, he said to me, the hardest step you'll ever take in life is starting something. After that, you know, you're in it and you're right. going and whatever. But the hardest part for anybody is starting. And so all these little things just kind of, you know, kind of resonated with me. And so I don't know if that answers your it question does. on teaching, but... It, it does. And my dad used to say, starting is half over. Yeah. Starting is half over. I'll, about never, right. I'll never forget that. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, let's go on to some values. I have a couple questions here about values. 
And first, I'd like to define values because it, and this is a dictionary version of it. I just like some people say, what do you mean values? You know, it's a person's principle or standards or be, of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. Do you do, do you give much thought to your values? I mean, do. so so do you have you written them down? Do you? So no. what does that mean to you? About no, values? again, again, some I think you're going to get your values early on in life. I think they're gonna be reinforced and you're gonna find out how much you care about them if they're if 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 people disagree with them. Mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, a big value for me is truth. Okay. Truth. I think I think lying ought to be up there with murder. I know that sounds a little extreme and I'm half joking. <laughs> but I think I think I you know, I, I learned early on and I think this was product part part of being a kid in my household was <clears throat> fess up to something you did wrong because if you lie about it the punishment's going to be 10 times worse so that was imprinted on me really early and 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 not that not that I think that the punishment's going to be worse today for lying but that you know I just I just that's one of the you know it's one of my great wishes for the world is that I you know I wish that we just we would take that more seriously. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there's so much in truth, and and a lot of people are afraid to tell the truth. So 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 lying can be deliberate or it can be consequential because you're afraid. I'm afraid to tell the truth. I was afraid to admit I didn't have this experience when I applied for this job. Right. You can't let that fear. You you got to be able to use your weakness, here we go with the weakness part. Yeah. You have to use that weakness of not knowing something, but you have to bolster it by telling the truth. That's so much more appreciated than the actual weakness, just as a lie is going to be more remembered than the actual, you know, whatever you, whatever you did, yeah. Right. Yeah. What was a, a time in your life where you really felt your values steered you in the right direction? You, can you think of a time in your life when you thought, you know, I, it, it really made a difference in your life because you stood on value or you, or maybe a failure? I would say, I would say when I started the guitar company, I mean, you know, at that point I had zero experience in business, zero, right? I had just graduated a year prior, right? With a degree. And I mean, I, I had the auto detailing business and I did that for a year and then sort of, you know, sold it very cheaply, sold the names to, you know, my customers to, to somebody else. But I didn't have a lot of experience, certainly not with a product, right? How do you make a product? How do you get a patent? How do you start this thing called a corporation? And then well, I have to hire employees. So I think that, I think that I'd say the value and the principles of, of, kind of being truthful to yourself and staying the course, just just standing on your passion. If you know something, if you believe in something, that value right there, or that should be a value. I don't know quite what you call it, but it but it, 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 it propelled me certainly when, when there were negative people to say, hey, you can't do this, who are right. you to do this? Right. It kept me going and going and going and going. And then finally somebody, you know, people started to invest and say, oh, okay, wow, this is cool. Love your passion. You know, I heard that a lot, right? And I'm like, okay, well, it's just me. Right. You know, right. but that's who I am. So I, you know. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And I love that, what you just said. When somebody says to like, I love your passion, 
And I'm really, I'm really interested sometimes when somebody says they brush it off. Oh, you know, just, I just was doing what I do, you know, but if somebody says, no, no, you're right. It's just me. I mean, that's just who I am. Right. You know, I hate, I don't like it when people downplay yeah. who they are. Well, that's, well, that goes to, that goes to identity. You know, I think if I remember correctly, I do this on the first day of class, right? Mm -hmm. I you tell do. everybody who I am. I make no bones about it, right? And, and there's good things and there's bad things. Or not not necessarily bad things, but it's you know it's kind of like this is who I am. I expect participation. We're going to talk in this class. <laughs> you know, I I teach from inside. You don't have to read the book, okay? So there's there's these give and takes, and the older I have gotten, the more that I believe that that serves me well in my life. Again, it doesn't mean it served me to make trillions of dollars. It means it served me well so that I can be this happy person or That's I right. can be happy with myself. I've always said, and, and this I'm gonna take credit for because nobody told me this and I came up with this by myself, but I believe this. I believe we all get to the end of our lives and whether in reality or metaphorically, we stand in a mirror and we are naked in front of a mirror without any of our possessions or anything, and you're looking at that person in the mirror, you're looking at your, yourself, and you know, you can't lie to yourself because the other person in the mirror knows, they know the truth. You know if you did life right or if you did it wrong. It's so good. And I mean, and I'm not talking about wrong missteps and, right. oh, I, you know, got mad at a friend. I'm talking about the entire life. Did you do it right? Did you, did you adhere to your values and your principles? And, and did you lead a life that that person in the mirror would be proud of? And I really, really feel that way a lot. And I think about that daily so that, so that I, you know, whatever I do, whether it's send an email, whether I'm working on a, on one of the courses at UNR that I teach, whether I'm working on a book, whatever I'm doing, have I done it right? Right. And I'm doing it right. That's so good. That's, yeah. that's so good. So let's go to purpose. A okay. definition of a purpose is a person's sense of resolve or determination, which you've obviously had. Well, what's interesting about that is I don't think I have an overall purpose. You see, remember, let's go back to that pole vault. I had a purpose. It took three more years to achieve in mm -hmm. high school, and I, and I did it. And so I would say I'm a guy with a lot of purposes. I seem to set these goals or these purposes and then achieve them. And then I, I keep leapfrogging, right? Now, okay, when I had kids, you could say that that's a never-ending journey, but it's certainly an 18-year journey, Sure. right? So there's a purpose right there. I think that's how I've, I've looked at my life and I've done things. So when, so for example, when they said, hey, you gotta teach this you in our class, right? I didn't wanna just go, oh, you know, I can just like do that pretty easily and whatever and whatever and whatever. I took it seriously and, I t and, and, and as you know this, you know, I give my all in that class because that's who I am right? Because I don't want to not give my all and, and risk someone in five years going, I didn't learn that. Damn, I wish you'd have told me that in that class, right? right? That's, that's, how I view, that's how I view teaching. I know we're going in a circle here, no, but, it's all good. but here's a big thing that I think is missing in teaching and even in parenting. So when I was flight instructing, right, I would have to teach somebody how to do something navigation or landing or a turn or whatever. A lot of 
teachers and instructors, if the student didn't get it, the instructor would say, well, look, you know, we can try it again, but if you're not getting it, it's your fault, not mine. I take the opposite approach. It's my fault, right? You better have a plan A. If that doesn't work, you better have plan B. If that doesn't work, you better have plan C. That's the challenge of being an instructor or a teacher. And it's one of the most challenging things in the world, right? This is not like being, when I was CEO of a business, calling in an employee and saying, you know what, you do that again, you're fired, I'll get somebody else. That's actually easy. It's hard to be the instructor. Oh, you man. can't fire a student and you got to say, somebody's looking at me like a deer in the headlights. What do I do? Okay, I've got it. I've got to try to communicate another way. That didn't work. All right, let me, I got to, I got to think of it now. I got to think of something I got to get through to him. So that's what's exciting <clears throat> to me, right? Because that's got to do with human communication. And, right. you know, that's, that's, that kind of actually also weaves into the lawyer thing, right? Because you're trying to convince people. You're, you're learning how to argue and somebody to accept your argument. Right. Right. So and in, in our class, one of the things I loved so much about our class was you never felt like you didn't have a chance or I was saying you always felt like I was going to get something from you. And if I was in a roadblock, you would find a way around it. That's my job. And so it really is what we felt, though. Then everybody would talk about it. Oh, well, that's great. You know, you, 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 you know, and I was one of the older students. Yes, you were. So, but you know, these guys, these kids, they, they're, they're not as, they're not as easy as people think to get going. No, they're not. They're like deer in a head, like you said, and there's not one person that didn't want to be there every Monday. They talk about it all the time. Well, we, I, you know, I got that, I got that sense. And I love that because that's what, you know, when I, you know, that's what makes it exciting, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and again, not every student's gonna, gonna no. be like that. And you, you know, I can tell, And but at the same time, I have to be careful not to be deflated by that, right? Because if you look at a student who's looking at their phone or not paying attention, you know, you start to think, why am I here? What's the point, right? And so, but the class, your class was, was awesome because Everybody was very excited, and that got me more excited to yeah. be there. Yeah. But it's absolutely true that the burden rests on the teacher and the parent, right? So now, 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 of course, there are absolutes, right? There are absolutes in parenting and teaching. But for the most part, if you really, really, really want to excel, if you really want to look at that person in the mirror at the end of your life and go, you know, did you do it right? And have that person go back and go, do it right. I did it great. Right? <laughs> That's what I want. Right. And right. so in order to do that, I have to give my all. Yeah, and that's, that's what so I gotta good. do. It's so good. So what I want to do is talk to you a little bit about identity. We'll sure. wrap it up with identity. Sure. So, um, and you, we again we talked about this a little bit before, but how much time did you? You have a different take on identity than I've heard before, which was the strength and weaknesses thing. I've I've always had strength and weaknesses play a part of identity, but tell me a little bit about what you think on that. Well, I think it goes back to truth. So, so, the, so the word after truth is what? Honesty. Honesty, yeah. Right? Because truth, truth comes right after honesty or before or whatever, but they're, they're very intertwined together. One of the things I learned about myself going through this experience of building a company, I, I'll never forget. So, so as you introduced me, my name is Rusty Schaefer, but my real name is John. Oh, really? Yeah. So John is my name, is my real name. And I was named, I'm, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, 
third, like the third, I'm but a different middle name. Mm-hmm. But John Schaefer is, is a tradition in our family going back, well, now three generations. So I'm a John, right? However, my parents crucified me by giving me a nickname like a year when I was a year old. I think the story goes that I had pneumonia or something and I was coughing and hacking and they called me Rusty. So you can imagine growing up, it was always in class, right? Taking attendance, John Schaefer. And I'd be like, here. And my friends would be like, who's that? What's that? Could you explain that? I'm like, oh God, I'll do it later, you know? So Rusty is my name. Now, when I started the guitar company, I'll never forget this. People told me, oh, you should, you should use John. It's a, it's a, it's a more, you know, businessy word and Rusty's kind of goofy and it makes me think of a red haired clown, (laughs) whatever. Right. And I never forget. I listened to some of those people. I was young. I was like, whatever. And so my first business cards, I think said John R. Schaefer. Right. But at that, and then, then as I got older, you start to understand who you are and you start to say, look, I'm just not a John. If you said, John, look out, that that bus is coming. Boom, you'd be going to my funeral (laughs) because I've never, I've never been called John. I've never responded to John. So I am Rusty Schaefer. And so I think, I think you have to accept who you are and it goes to strengths and weaknesses. It can be educational strengths and weaknesses. It can be physical strengths and weaknesses. But as soon as you accept who you are, and yeah, we all want to change a little bit, right. something. We all want to be better. We all want to be that. We all want to be this. But you have to accept who you are. And you can, and you can build on that, right? So, so now, whereas when I was in my 20s, it, it was a weakness to tell somebody that I didn't know, you know, I don't know anything about really business, but I want investment. Now, I think you can turn that into a strength. I think you can turn weaknesses into strength. It comes with a lot of practice. Yeah. But I, but for me, my identity is 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 first of all truth about who I am, and second of all, it's experiences, starting with that darn pole vault. Isn't that crazy? I came in third, by the way. Freshman year, I came in third, and that's what drove me to say, you know what, I'm going to win this thing senior year. It wasn't I'm going to win it next year. I'm going to win it by senior year. So I seem to be able to give myself a reasonable amount of time to accomplish things, but which is huge. <laughs> and you know, I've also learned an interesting thing about identity. You just, there's going to be people that don't like you and there's going to be people that like you and there's going to be people that respond to you and don't respond to you. And I used to play that game as well by trying to be, you know, even keel. Oh, I don't tell them you're conservative, you know, you don't, don't, don't make waves. And, and I played that a little bit. And again, it's just not me. There are people that are going to like you and not like you. And you have to be able to almost not care. Like one of the things about my identity is I've not cared. You know, there are certain people that, oh, I don't know if I should write that on, on, on Facebook. Cause what do people think of me? Right? Really? I have to be careful to say, should I write that? Cause I'll get banned or not? Because I don't care what people think will think about me. That's kind of a bold statement. And sometimes it doesn't serve you well. But for me, again, my goal is to get to the end of that day 
in that mirror and say, did you do it right? Were you true to yourself? Were you honest with yourself and everybody else? That's so good. Doesn't matter if somebody didn't like you, at least they know they don't like you. You're not a, you're not a wolf in sheep's clothing. Right. And I think this is, this is what bothers me so much about politics today is that so many people are flip-flopping and they're just saying what, oh, oh, you want me to vote? Okay, okay, you're right, you're right, I'll do this. And I'll, oh, you want this? Oh, I'll do that, okay. And they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. And, and for as much as I love leadership and think that I would love to run for political office someday, I couldn't do that. I couldn't act like that. And I think that that's an oddity. The problem is though, you don't, I don't, I don't think that would bode well. I think the club, the liars club up there would basically go, you know, you're, 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 you're making waves. You need, you're out of the club. Yeah. And it's sad to say, but that's just not who I am. You know, and it's, it's funny too, because we do look at those people and I, I, I've got my own opinions about sure. Washington and all this kind of stuff, sure. but we, I do believe that we need to, we need to start talking truth. We need to start talking about it. And one of the things I think, um, I think in all over the United States is that we've got people that aren't speaking truth about what's going on. And so it's, it's, I really yeah. believe that too. Yeah, no, no. And, and it's, it's look, you, you, you can't, you know, sometimes the truth is tough, right? I mean, sometimes the truth is hard. When my father said, Hey, if you lie, you know, your punishment will be greater than if you tell the truth and tell me what you did. It was hard to fess up, mm -hmm. especially as a little kid, right? It's hard. And it's hard to admit failure. It's hard to admit those weaknesses, okay, that we all experience from time to time. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I really, I'll go back to Martin Luther King, you know, the truth will set you free. And, and again, I, I don't ever, ever worry about telling the truth. It may be hard. It may hurt people's feelings. It may be embarrassing. It may cause a rift in a relationship but it's truth, right? That's the beautiful thing is for every one truth, there's a billion lies. And for every billion lies, there's only one truth. Right. That's right. it. That's it. And so I try to live my life like that. And sometimes you're right in this world, it's tough. It's tough. It's really tough. So my last question I have is, and I, I, I like this question because it's really interesting. Religion has had a, a kind of a hold on finding identity and it's just really interesting to me when I see, I'd like to know what their view is on that. It, was it, was religion play any part in it was, who you are? Again, foundationally, yes. So I was a Boy Scout mm -hmm. and our Boy Scout troop was through the church, the United Methodist Church. And so I would go to Sunday school and of course we'd have pancake breakfasts through the Boy Scouts. So it was really intertwined. Now, again, at that age, I'm not sure what you're forming as far as beliefs, but but it was a foundation and it always was a good experience. As I got older and started to, you know, some of the trials and tribulations of life, I've always been a person that's believed in God. I don't always go to church. It's just, just you know, life got, it, it was an, it's an excuse, I know, but I've always believed in God and I've always believed in a higher power. And again, I probably get some of my, my principles from believing there is a hereafter. Right. If this is the only place. Why? 
well, not just why, but let's go out and rob a 7-Eleven yeah. because what's the point of living a clean life? Right. I mean, why, why not? Right. So I do believe there's a hereafter or I believe there's some kind of reckoning or I believe there is something after. I have to because if, if this is... If we go through all these years and all this knowledge and growth to just have it end, that would be really disappointing yeah. for me. Now, do I have 50 questions for God when I get up there? Yes, I do. Yeah. And and maybe that's naive of me to say that I could ask, but you know what? I have questions. So religion, I think, for me, always played an important important role. It just It just was very foundational. And again, you know, I, I've always been somebody that has believed that my beliefs in in God or in religion don't necessarily, you know, need to transcend to being a good good church participant. And I know I probably should, right? And that's probably one area where I fell down with my kids, right? I pushed sports and they were doing this and doing that and we we didn't go to church nearly at all and 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 I feel sad because that's one part that that I probably didn't pass on enough but I was so young <clears throat> when I got my foundational stuff there wasn't all these distractions in life for kids right I mean there wasn't right. the internet there wasn't the devices there wasn't the you know social media I mean we had what three or four channels on TV and you know that was about it and and you had books and you had you had athletics and you had hobbies right i mean that's what we had that's right so 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 church was great but again i you know if you want to ask further i'm probably an old testament guy i i'm an you know an eye for an eye kind of guy i'm i'm a big that's truth thing i see again it goes it yeah. goes back to that and yeah. so so what's really interesting is that my, you know, and I really abhor lying. I just, it, oh my gosh, I can't tell you. But it must go all the way back yeah. to my upbringing, yeah. and it, and it, and I'm positive it involves religion. But it, but I would think, I don't think that, you know, I didn't go to like a Baptist church where they're pounding on the gavel, right? I didn't get those kind of sermons, but I did get insightful sermons when I was old enough to understand them. Mm -hmm. When I was old enough to not be in the Sunday school part, and it was more of the, the youth fellowship stuff, and I went and I would go to the to Sunday, you know, church, mm -hmm. I listened to the sermons and I got a lot out of the sermons. I started to get a lot. And again, everything I think re reinforced truth right. for me. Right. And that's why it's such a big deal for me. That's so good. That's so good. Well, you have some stuff coming up. So I wanted to help you promote your book, or let's talk about your book a little bit, Trial Run. I just got through reading this book, and it was, I couldn't put it down, the la especially the, la the second half. I think I read, uh, I think I stayed up till 11.30, 12 o'clock one night reading it. And so thank what you got going well, on? Well, thank you. So, so this is interesting. So I wrote this book last year, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were all locked inside and all this kind of, and I just... I started writing some of my views or my thoughts on the pandemic. And, and, and during my years from 2003 to 2019, I've traveled to China probably 30 times, mm -hmm. right? Because our manufacturers were over there. And, and, I, and I got an amazing education and insight into China and Hong Kong and Asia and all of that. And it was, it's, a, it's been a wonderful experience. I started writing. And of course, you're going to laugh, but here's what happens. So I'm about five or six pages in, and I'm starting to develop a story. And I'm starting to think, wow, maybe this is more than just some thoughts, right? So 
again, my impatience, I can't keep it a secret. <clears throat> I tell my family one day, and I'm probably at this point 25 pages in, 30 pages in, I'm writing a book. You can't do that. <laughs> Who are you to write a book? You're writing a book? What? You, what how are you doing? Uh, and it wasn't, you know, like, it wasn't super negative, but it was negative enough that I went, okay, I've heard this before. <laughs> now I'm going to finish. Well, shouldn't you be doing and shouldn't you? I'm going to finish. And I mean, I wrote feverishly for three months. Wow. I wrote this in three months. Wow. Now, that said, I'm incredibly proud of it. Nobody told me about the editing part and the formatting part, right? Because this is a print-on-demand. I'm self-published, essentially, sure, sure. right? So it's available on Amazon. But but there's a lot to learn about doing that. So that was more kind of functional stuff I had to learn. But I really, I really enjoyed writing this from the standpoint that I learned even more about myself. Interesting. So what I could do with huh. these characters is, and if you knew my family better, you would go, oh, your wife and your daughter are a combination of that character. And I knew who that character, what friend that is of yours. And I started to write this and I started to learn that, you know what? I have complete control. If I want to give somebody an ailment, I can give them an ailment. If I want to give them a summa cum laude degree someplace, <laughs> right. I get to do that. Oh, guess what? They're amazing in kickboxing or, you know, whatever it is. And I so I enjoyed that part of developing these characters. And it was a challenge. It was, you know, I'd done legal writing. I'd done business plan writing. But I'd never done fictional storytelling writing. And... And it was a challenge, and I wanted to do it. And I got excited. I, I did it and loved it. And book two, hopefully, will finish later, late in the year. Good for you. I thought, to use a religious term, I thought it was somewhat prophetic. So I don't know when you finished it. I Well, it was April. I finished it. I finished it probably, let's call it May 1. Wow. So it's a page turner. And there's a hook. So I'll just tell you that. There's a hook. <laughs> You're going to love it. Every great story has a hook. Got a good villain, hero, guides. It's got everything. Well, it's, it's, and, and, and my heroine is a female. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is of my six kids, I have three daughters and three sons, uh -huh. right? So four of my own two-step. And I've always tried to, you know, teach my daughters to be strong mm -hmm. individuals. You know, you don't have to lose your femininity to be strong. And so I love the fact that I chose a female heroine to sort of model after them and, of course, my wife. And so I think she came out <clears throat> pretty well. She did. She did. But she's got more challenges in the next book. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I, I see it being a, a movie. It'd be a phenomenal movie. That'd be great. So That'd be fun. It has been such a pleasure. Oh, good. Well, to get to know you better because I... I we spent uh, four or five months with you, but now to know a little bit well, more is great. Thank you, And Ken. I love your identity journey and your I, strengths and weaknesses. I think this is important. I really do. I think it's an important topic of conversation. I don't know how many people are out there like me, but I'm sure that there are people that have questions about their identity mm -hmm. and about what's right, what's wrong. How should I do this? How should I not? And so hopefully this will, again, you get through to one person, right? Yeah. Oh, and I'm, I'm addicted to the lights coming on. That's oh, I love good. when the lights come on. I love to coach. I love to teach Good. because it's 
Awesome. Thank Thanks. you, sir. Thank you, Rusty, for spending time with us today. That was incredible. There were a lot of takeaways, and the one I want to highlight is this mirror question. When you get to the end of the day, you look in the mirror and you ask yourself the questions. Did you do it right? Number one. Number two, were you true to yourself? And number three, were you honest with yourself and others? These are such great questions, great wisdom to live by. Helps you stay true north to who you are, your identity, and your goals. Thank you for listening to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast. I hope you had some kind of a breakthrough moment while you listened today. I love when people get an insight that can quite literally change the way they think and behave. If you want more of this or want to learn more about my community, go to endurancelead.com. That's endurancelead.com. Until the next time, this is Who Do You Think You Are podcast. My name is Ken Castrico, and I want to thank you for listening. If you found this podcast inspiring, please follow the pod and leave a comment.